Well, hello, all you wonderful, beautiful people out there. It's it's me, Lee, and I'm here with Aaron, and we just got done talking with Jim and Liza and Tommy and Margie and Ange, and we all just came back from Vegas having a great big time over there with Frankie and Don and Caesar and Sam and Jeff and Jim and the other Jim. That's th- all three Jims were there. It was just a marvelous, marvelous time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I felt like being a, a a 60s glamorous showbiz guy for a second there. Hey, it's Dan Grubbin over there's Aaron Fletcher Smith. <laughs> I wasn't gonna cut you off because I wanted to see where this is going. <laughs> I saw, uh, I saw a clip of Liberace popping up on uh, Letterman in like the '80s, just ah, dropping okay. in to say hi, and <laughs> then uh, uh, Andrea Martin came out right after wearing his fur coat. So that was cool. Ah, nice. Very. <laughs> that was that's anyway. Uh, Very quintessential like, yeah. '70s '80s. We we don't, but yeah, and then but then the transplant that into the eighties. It's like one of these things just doesn't belong here. Yeah, right. That's a yeah. We don't have that big time show business anymore. No, no, I'm, and you don't have overlap like that anymore. Hi, um, it's me, Mister Show Business. Hi, oh, yeah. it's just fabulous over here in show business. It's all like, I'm uh, some dude anyway. Yeah, uh, it's very transactional now. Yeah, which is you know it's nice. I like that it's yeah. uh, it's honest. It's it's a gig, and uh, there's a lot more warts and all. Yeah, music. Yeah, that's that's all there is to that. <laughs> For a second there, I thought he was uh, Conan as Conan in the uh, Sconsi. <laughs> we should do uh, an episode of this on that at some point because that would be fun to do. Um, and then uh, and then there's some cars, and then there's some uh, some people. Walking around, and then there's some uh, trees, and then there's Philip Glass in the background directing the entire orchestra through. Yeah, I don't know. I think I would. That's one of those ones where you're like, "Wait a minute, am I high now?" Yeah, is this? Is this what high is like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Conan Escazzi is like the... Um, Man. It's one of those few legal highs you can... It's an audiovisual high uh, in its yeah. weirdness. Yeah, very uh, meditative. Very... Yeah. Uh, it, it's like the... Uh, well, I mean, I guess it is. Uh, I, when you go to a museum and they have a, uh, a video installation mm. and you sit there looking at the... 12 inch screen right for about 40 seconds and you're like yeah okay i think i get it you know then you keep yeah. going <laughs> right or is right, that right. just me 
Yeah, no, I, I've done the same thing. Um, you know, you don't watch it on the loop. Yeah. Um, the uh, <laughs> my my wife actually pointed out to me that there was other um, there were two other films that were done um, either by the directors that did Koyaanisqatsu or in the same spiritual vein. But one of the ones that she kept describing to me, and we, we looked up the name for it, and now we have it written down, and I can't, of course, remember the name right now. But there's this one that she was describing to me for a long time where she was saying, yeah, the thing that really messed with my head was that they played the video of the baby chick separator machine backwards. So... Like the machine was like spawning baby chicks, um, <laughs> oh, and, and, weird. right? It's the it's the it's the <laughs> the separator that figures out you know which baby chicks become chickens and which baby chicks become chicken McNuggets. Um, but they played the footage backwards, <laughs> so it looked like the machine is manifesting shall these be chickens, and send, yeah, and sending them back up the chain, you know, and. Uh, she, uh, we, we looked it up and then we finally found it. We watched a chunk of it on YouTube and she was like, just keep watching, just keep watching. And then I sat there and I watched it and I was like, oh, this is too weird for me. <laughs> I awesome. want to see that. Mm. I'll was... put that off to go figure out which, which one that was. There was one really cool um, video exhibit that I watched. Um, Howardina Pindle. Pindell. I guess okay. it's Pindell. Howard Dina. It's uh, Howard, like the boy name Howard, E-N-A. Right. Pindell, yeah. P-I-N-D-E-L-L. She was, uh, she did a lot of video art in like the okay. 80s. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they had an exhibit of her at the VMFA in Richmond. Oh, neat. The Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. Uh, right, right. Listener. And uh, it was really cool. And, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. For um, anybody that decides to Google Howardina Fendel, it's 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 pronounced Howardina Fendel, but it's actually spelled Howard Johnson Fendel. So, you know, if you go to Google search it, you know, that's what you want to type in, and then you'll find it eventually. This is a true fact. Yes, yes. That's why we're here. We're here to inform. Hey um, man, that's like a lie that told some truth. It's like <laughs> art, man. If you look between, that's my that's my Pablo Picasso impression. Yeah, well, that's that a his, really fantastic Pablo Picasso. Impression. Hey man, uh, it's like a lie that tells the truth, dude. It's yeah. me, Pablo. <laughs> hey. All right. Oh, Pablo. I can't believe that you're doing this. You're telling a series of lies again to the American public. You know what that is? That's my Ernest Hemingway impression. My, that's, uh, you know. Cause, uh, hey, get off so. my back, Ernie. Let's go uh, watch some bullfights, man. It'll be fun. We'll drink some wine and get some bullfights. It'll be great, buddy. No, I have to go finish my book. That's a, I have to go finish my book with it's a, a first person, uh, modestly uh, misogynist narrative about uh, sitting in a boat. Hey, that's like the <laughs> uh, that's like the uh, longest sentence I ever heard from you, buddy. <laughs> hey, let's Pablo go find Picasso, out everybody. Doing. Maybe he's writing more about bugs in apartment buildings. <laughs> 
about. Yeah, I wonder if... Hey, uh... <laughs> hey, Franz, what do you say, buddy? Well, what's the deal with waking up like a bug in an apartment building? I mean... <laughs> oh, don't talk to me now, guys. It's, I can't handle it. I'm so paranoid about the state. <laughs> Is it metaphorical? I mean, I called it metamorphosis for a reason. <laughs> Ooh, exit stage right already. <laughs> that, that metamorphed through like five people. Not a lot oh of people know that Snagglepuss was based on Franz Kafka. Yes, exactly. Uh, all of whom uh, uh, borrow their spiritual lineage in terms of the way that they uh, engage with people from um, Seinfeld. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, now that we've got people? that out of our system. <laughs> hey, who are these people? <laughs> they should have, yeah. I want to hear other people be Jerry Seinfeld. Who are these people? I'm Jerry Seinfeld. Who are these people? <laughs> hey, hey, man. It's me, Jerry Seinfeld. And I would like to ask you... What kind of cereal do you think Superman eats? <laughs> Who are these people? Hello, everybody out there in America. <laughs> My name is Jerry Seinfeld. You may know me from popular American television show Jerry Seinfeld, but I hang out with George Costanza. <laughs> I ask you, who are these people? Who are these people? No, uh, I'd like to ask my very good friend, Elaine Kramer, uh, who are these people? <laughs> God, I, I, I'm not, I'm having trouble pulling it. Well, I, you know, okay, all right, all right. And, uh, and what's, what's the deal with airline food, Ernie? Or what's the deal with airline food, Bert? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I just can't wrap my head around that. Ah, oh, Jerry. <laughs> we could do this uh, all night. <laughs> so that's oh that's this week's episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the, the Rama is about how we're the dumbest people in history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the us. Two the idiots. Forty impression episode where, where Dan and I flub our way through impressions badly. Um. Anyway, so oh man, don't make me insert. A clip from uh, when we covered We'll Meet Again. Oh my as, god, that was the best. Like so, okay. 30 terrible impressions. Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm pulling that band-aid off right now because it was amazing. Um Dan and I recorded a oh god, what was it? It's probably minutes? nine or ten minutes. Nine or ten minutes, yeah. Uh where we we went through every horrible um impression that we could do. Of everybody, or not uh, do, <laughs> or not do, yeah. Who was in there? And it was Jerry layered. Lewis, Mr. Yeah. T, Chewbacca. Jeff Bloom, Christopher yeah. Walken, Chewbacca, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gonzo, Man. yep, um, yeah, Hunter uh, S. Thompson. There was one of us doing Thompson, uh, God, it was oh, just, um, um, George C. Scott from yes! Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And 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 what I, I what song is complete without George C. Scott? Exactly. As, <laughs> you see uh, him coming out of the sky. It's amazing. Well, um, was it Tur Turgeson? General Turgeson. Yeah, General Turgeson. Yeah. 
<laughs> we cannot allow a mineshaft cap. Um, yeah, I, I distinctly remember recording that, and I remember my dad coming in and looking at us with this exhausted face of like, "Can you please stop? I'm yeah. trying to get to sleep. Please, please." It's like two in the morning. I, I, I know you guys are idiots, and I know you guys revel in idiocy, but could you please not do this right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know I failed. Yeah, right. if, if this is how you turned out, I must have failed somehow. Yeah, but do you have to punish me horrible. now? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, joke's on him. We've been doing this for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, insert the balloon deflate sound effect. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that one. Tonight's episode of the Lycorama is going to kick off a series of episodes um, on concept artists, which is uh, something that um, originally started with, uh, I I really just wanted to talk about um, two books that I like, which are art books. And then um, the more I started doing the, the research on the art books, the more I realized that there was a variety of different concept artists that I wanted to talk about. Um, a lot of the concept artists that I like, so, so Dan pours through, uh, comic books and Dan has a very encyclopedic, um, Marvel and DC comics knowledge base, uh, which I love because I just don't know it very well, but I pour through, um, concept art and, and I, I just, anytime that there's science fiction or fantasy or, or, or spaceship or robot concept art books that are available, um, I, I grab them up, um, whether it's, you know, at the bookstore, used bookstore, or, you know, um, I used to back when, back when, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble and, and, and Books a Millions were, uh, a regular part of the American mall landscape. I, you know, you could find me in the back corner pouring through concept art to see how, uh, spaceships or robots or, or faraway worlds or, or dragons or et cetera. Um, you know, started with 15 different design iterations and then they finally stumbled upon the one, uh, you know, that they oh, really yeah. like. I love that stuff. I, I think it's yeah, so cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but um, the, the, the use of concept art as a way to um, capture the imagination, whether it's the American imagination or, or international imagination, has always been uh, something very fascinating to me and um uh, you know my bias is of course going to be in the direction of uh space fantasy and space travel um so the next few episodes are going to be focused on different concepts concept artists that were responsible for um creating visualizations of both fictional and realistic space um these are the artists that helped um uh, frame and shape uh, what it looked like to be in outer space before we had any cameras up there, um, and and they they excited the imagination of a century of folks. Uh, um, when, and and so we're going to start with um, Georgia start O'Keefe. With a, exactly, we're going to start with Georgia <laughs> O'Keefe. Um, from the vagina to the clouds. Oh, I'm, a, uh, I think I think camera up there confused me. I'm sorry. What? 
No, it's uh, okay. No, well, I'm gonna do that now. Um, my my mom used to have a, a beautiful painting by Georgia O'Keeffe. It was like uh, very these very evenly patterned um, clouds above a very dry, cracked uh, desert landscape. And I didn't. It had been a long time since I had Google searched Georgia O'Keeffe's name, and I kind of knew that you know she was you know responsible for the the vagina flowers and. Um, I remember there was a night where I wanted to find this this piece of artwork, and so I I, I googled Georgia O'Keeffe artwork, and it's it's not that I was like, oh my god, vagina flowers, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's more that like it's, it's oh more that oh heavens to Betsy, yeah. It was more that at a certain point as I was scrolling, I was like, and another vagina flower, and another vagina flower, and another vagina flower, and ah, here it is, the desert landscape. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. she's not famous for this set of you know paintings, you know. Yeah, there's a thing that the, she's famous ones... for, and it's it's not the desert painting. <laughs> she did, uh, didn't she do like cow skulls too? She did, yeah. She did the cow. Those skulls were cool. With the flowers on them. Those were pretty freaking groovy. Yeah, yeah, I like those. Yeah, I'm. I can't remember. I. It was one of the DC museums. I saw a big old exhibition of hers when I was yeah. I don't know like. 13 or something not old enough to like know stuff right i wasn't anyway my daughter is 13 and she definitely knows things i'm totally uh, okay so i'm, I'm totally well, doing a youngest. deviation for a minute um before we go into our, uh, our our first artist in the concept artist series and you remember this because this is one of the things that years later you and i went oh yeah okay all right that makes sense my mom used to have um the dinner party by and I, I can't remember yes. who is it. We've is it talked O'Keefe? about this on another episode. Yeah. Did we? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I won't do it a second time. All right. Um, <laughs> I think we. Never did. mind. Never mind then. All right. Yeah. We, Either we, that we'll... or. Uh, I think it, I was going to say that or in our D and D game, but it might have been both. <laughs> I honestly can't remember. I just like the story so much that I've told it more than once. Um, just because it's a great aha moment. But, all right, yeah, I'll tell yeah, yeah. it another time. Maybe I'll save an entire episode for it, and I'll go research Judy Chicago. That'd be kind of fun. The Like-A-Rama Feminist Series, as told by two white men. <laughs> tell me you want to shoot yourself in the foot without telling me you want to shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've, uh, we're the experts on that, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, clearly. Um... All right, so uh, before we uh, 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 go any further down that road, um, let's talk about concept artists, and let's particularly talk about Chesley Bonestell. Um, so uh, Chesley Bonestell is um, one of the first um, American um, space art uh, concept artists. He's, he's one of the uh, first batch of artists that um, are just around the turn of the 20th century, uh, early 1900s, um, began illustrating these different images of what it looked like, what it could potentially look like to be in outer space. Um, his, his paintings were based on what scientific information was available about the planets at the time. And what he did was basically kind of tried his best to fill in the holes um, but make the paintings as plausible as as possible 
um, one of the uh, pieces of art that is um, really well known is there's this uh, piece, and I'm trying to figure out, I, I had the name buried somewhere down in here. Oh, where was it? Um, it's I, the, the Saturn as seen from Titan. Um, the painting by, uh, and his name, for those that are Google searching, it's C-H-E-S-L-E-Y B-O-N-E-S-T-E-L-L. Chesley Bonestell. And uh, his painting, Saturn, as seen from Titan, um, the, 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 the wiki with an attributable source uh, calls it uh, the painting that launched a thousand space careers. Um which, when you have a look at the piece of art, it, it, it kind of makes sense as to why. Because it feels like you're standing on one of the zero-atmosphere moons of um, uh, Saturn, the, the, uh, the moon Titan, and looking back at the planet Saturn. It's, it's an entirely otherworldly image, and it's also an entirely otherworldly image that no camera could have captured uh, at the time that the painting was uh, painted, which is um, uh, early 19... I think it was 1910, 1915, something like that. Um, wow. That's so wild that it was that long ago. When I was... I mean, I, I did the, the barest of prep for this episode. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I looked through yeah. your notes and uh, did an image search. But I, was, I figured 40s, 50s, because you're like, yeah, this guy was early. No, you're so correct. Like 40s, you're correct. 50s, it's right? But it's it's forties fifties. Saturn is Saturn is seen from Titan is forties fifties. I just double checked because I could see myself shooting myself in the foot with that. So I was wrong. It's forties fifties. But so, still, yeah. though, his uh, your notes say the first his first painting was nineteen oh five. Yeah, like that's, that's crazy. The, yeah, and, he and was the other doing thing space paintings. His first space painting was nineteen oh five. Yeah. And this is the one that really blows my mind that was from the notes is that he lost several of his paintings in the fire that followed the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Like, that's wow. how far back this is. Um, that, yeah. that one, I, I had to write that down because I was like, wait a minute, what? You know, that blew my mind. Um, but yeah, so his so career it was like, through... The, I'm trying to think. So that, at that time when he was starting mm -hmm. his... Yeah. His frames of reference would be um, uh, a trip to the moon, Le Voyage yeah. dans la Lune, mm -hmm. by uh, uh, Mel. Oh, I've never heard it out loud. The French director George Melies. Melies. There's Melies. Melies. <laughs> Probably Melies. George Melies. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, H.G. Wells. Right. I wonder if that would be it. There's not much else. I mean, else. that would be, that'd be like the big famous ones. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean... Like uh, Galileo Copernicus, those guys. Right. But then, I mean, also around that period of time, around uh, the 1900s through directly pre-war, was the period of time where the ability to build um, uh, optic lenses... And therefore, to look at um, uh, otherworldly bodies through telescopes was moving along very fast. It, 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 mm. it, the development of that technology 
and the installation of things like um, telescopes all happened around the 1920s through 1950s. Uh, the development of that technology and, and putting that technology into place. Like every, uh, every observatory, um, every astron uh, astronomical dome with a telescope inside it, they all date back to this kind of post-war, you know, WPA, uh, you know, American expansion stuff where the grants were begin being given out left, right, up, down, and sideways. And so uh, universities and, and laboratories were like, yeah, we'll take a telescope. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you're building one over for them. Can can we have one too? Oh, yes. A few Ooh. few thousand dollars. Sure, sounds good. Thanks. Um, I was, uh, I went down the tiniest of rabbit holes, and it mm -hmm. took me to a 19. I I was thinking, what were the earliest like space based comics and like newspaper uh, strips? Right. Mr. Skygack from Mars started I mean. in 1907. Hmm. Oh, that's kind of fun. In a cheap, a, a working-class Chicago paper. Oh, that's kind of cool. Mr. Right, Skygack right. from Mars. S-K-Y-G-A-C-K. G-A-C-K. Uh, oh, cool. So I'm going to bookmark that uh, and read that. And and there's a picture of someone dressed up as them in 1912. So there's your uh, cosplay. Yeah, right. All right, sweet. and Nine-year-old cosplay, cool. Yeah, who are you? I'm Skygack, clearly from nineteen. What, what did you say it was from? Oh seven. Oh well, the the cosplay was from nineteen twelve. That's freaking awesome. That rules. Yeah. Good for that person. Yeah, totally going Whoever. to the next Comic Con like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, you probably wouldn't have heard of this one. <laughs> Are you Crankor from MSD3K? No, clearly I am Skygack. I'm uh, Skygack from Mars. Yeah, obviously you are not familiar with your Martians. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at Bonestill's uh, image gallery, and one yeah. of the ones that I know that I had on my wall uh, back when I was um, growing up as a kid is Saturn as seen from Mimas, uh, M-I-M-A-S, which is another one of uh, Saturn's moons. And this one is captivating. This one is like how, I mean, you know, the only way that I can guess that he had the understanding and the ability to put this together was like, if you look at the foreground, the foreground kind of looks like Utah. If you look at the distance, the distance obviously looks like Saturn. But the idea of putting the two of them together in this way, it's just, oh, man, it is. <laughs> It makes it, it makes my heart rise into my chest. It's just so so gorgeous. Love it. And how do you spell that again? As seen from M M I M A S. Might be Mimas 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 Mimas. Sure. Oh okay. Yeah, I've seen this one. It's but so in uh, the one from Titan, it's sort of the sky is blue and Saturn's further away. So yeah, Mimas mm -hmm. Saturn is like there. It is. It's much closer. Yeah. Like three quarters of the sky. Yep. Yeah, is, is is that the one that you had? Or was it you you had Titan or you had Mimas? So the one the one that um Cuz Mimas looks really familiar to me. I've probably yeah. seen that somewhere. The wiki's got um the the, the wiki I have to go back and look at the wiki. Um 
but it it, it called uh, Saturn a scene from. Um, here we go. Let me let me do the. Uh, is that the? There we go. Here's the wiki. Where was it? Where was the attribution for it? Because um, I remember reading this and then I didn't write it down. Uh, launched. There it is. Launched a thousand careers. What was the What was the reference here? The art of Chesley Bonestell is. Uh, it was from an art book. One of his art books. Um, oh, okay. Saturn is seen from Titan. Is the the one that um, these guys when they were compiling the art of Chesley Bonestell book, uh, they consider it the 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 painting that lost a thousand space careers. But the one that I'm familiar so with, cool. yeah, the one that I'm familiar with, and, and I just am in love with it is the Saturn is seen from Mimas because yeah, it it feels like it feels the way that. Carl Sagan talking about the cosmos feels. It's got that same yeah. like it's got that same like we could really do this, you know, you know, cuz yeah. your, your your heart jumps into your chest type of like excitement to it, the giddiness to it. Um, yeah, it's like deeply alien and bizarre and strange, but also but deeply moving. Where we live. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. it's our neighbor, <laughs> right? Right. It's it's also part of our d local solar system. Like getting there, we've sent we've sent satellites to it in in fifteen year time frames. We can actually do this now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I love on the Saturn is seen from Titan, the detail of the, I'm assuming it's snow on these mountains. Yes, and I think this is also... Is ahead. Titan one of the ones that could potentially support life? I believe so. I know that... Um, so I think that's one of the ones that's always getting colonized in books and movies. Europa and is the one that's always getting colonized in books. That's Jupiter. Um, you, Europa that's the ice is, one, right? Yeah, it's the, it's one the colonized. solid... Right, that's the ice rock one where they they always hypothesize. Well, if you dig down far enough, there's a molten core, so maybe there's something living between the ice surface and the molten core yeah. in the. Twenty sixty one was uh, they try to land on Europa. Yep. And then oh no, there's that. problems. <laughs> yep. Twenty sixty one does that. Uh, that's that's Clark. Yeah, you're right. God, it's been a while since I read that book. Um, Europa. I went back report. and reread the. What's a four-part trilogy? Would that be a quad quadrilogy? Uh, uh, quadrilogy, I think. Quadrilogy so, the, that makes sense, not quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. Uh, it's a quadrilogy. Um, no. The 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 way that I've seen um, folks get away with not using quadrilogy now is that they call stuff. Anytime that it goes beyond three pieces of media at this point. You'll, you'll, you see um, the folks doing compilations refer to shit as an anthology. Because they're uh, like, oh, this sounds, this sounds much more eh, you know, That's a cheat, though. An anthology oh, is more of an oleo. It's more yeah. of a, a whole bunch of different stuff. Right, right. I so love, you have 47 works. I like the, uh, the Hitchhiker's version where they put all five books into one hardback books and it said the in entire the Hitchhiker's trilogy and mm -hmm. it was five books. Yeah. It's like the yeah, opposite yeah. of Ben Folds Five had three members. Right, yeah. That was um when um when Awen Coffer's uh, and another thing, which is book six 
in the right. uh, Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy came out. Yeah. That was what was written on the front. Was <laughs> oh, it said <laughs> book that. six of the trilogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, all right, that's good. That's good. I need to go yeah. back and read that again. The Ao and Coffers one. I've read the first five, three or four times, and yeah. I read the I read Coffers one once and. Yeah. I didn't. I don't think I gave. I think I went into it being like, "Well, this isn't going to be as good." Yeah. I think I went into it with a chip on my shoulder. I need to go back and give it a fair shake. God, I'll tell you what. I I so I so 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 wish that um, they had done more of the um, the American Hollywood Hitchhiker's Guide movie. That that movie was fantastic, and it was oh it yeah was so it was I so really pitch perfect it. to the original book. And God, I would have loved Restaurant at the End of the Universe and, mm-hmm. um, you know, each consecutive one just pouring out the story, you know, Stav Romula Bita and et cetera. God, that yeah, would have been yeah. so nice, you know, but, and uh, I've, you know. I've listened to some of the radio shows and I've yeah. seen the old TV show from 1980-ish. Yeah. And they're fine. Like, you know, I know it started out as a radio show, but yeah. just something yeah. about the books just hit me the big, the biggest. Yeah, it's, it's Even fun to get it's, lost in the books because the gags yeah. are just... The gags don't stop coming. That's my favorite thing about the way that Adams writes, mm-hmm. you know. And some of that doesn't carry over to the, uh, the, the movies because you can't fit Adams' voice in the background going, and by the way, you know, as the characters <laughs> trip on shit, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I really liked how they incorporated the actual book, the the actual guide into the mm-hmm. movie. That it would you know cut to Stephen Fry narrating, right? A nice oh little god. animation. But so oh my god, one of the best sentences ever mm-hmm. is uh, right at the beginning of the first book, talking about how the the Vogon ships hung in the air exactly as a brick doesn't. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> like yeah okay i'm i like this guy i'm in yeah yeah um anyway i also uh, oh, yeah, sorry yeah, no, go ahead we'll, go we'll, ahead no no we'll come back to bonusall um we'll do another episode on adams maybe that would be a hell of a lot of fun because that would also give me an opportunity to go back and, and read the books again um yeah yeah uh and so yeah just, oh my god that guy he had a quote on everything all his mm-hmm. all his yeah. little just i Yes, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they go by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sent that quote to a um, one of my very cantankerous uh, uh, um, bean counting uh, uh, bosses one day um, because I was I was kind of like I was feeling um, frivolous and I I was late on getting this uh, technical. Have a friv. Yeah, me. yeah. And and I remember him sending back. Yes, I love Adams too as well. But we all have to remember that in order to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, true. oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, deflated that balloon pretty fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all right, so we'll we'll circle back around to uh, Bonestell here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, thing right. that I thought the was, point. Oh yeah, that's right. What we were doing a, 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 an episode on. Um, the thing that I thought was really groovy about um, the, the reading through his bio is that the stuff he was involved in designing as an actual architect 
and a, and a concept artist for real buildings and stuff was pretty significant stuff because this was during that period of time um, where you know we were coming out of the recession and we were moving into this you know kind of grand design you know um, uh, postmodernist art deco build of the United States. Um, so he worked for Willis Polk. The man so this who is like the 30s? San Francisco. No, this 40. is twenties and thirties. This is twenties. Oh yeah, 40s. Art Deco. So yeah, yeah. twenties. Like okay. Yep. So pre he, depression. Pre this. So his work spans through the depression. Um, okay. Uh, so uh, I think during the depression, he actually was out in England. Um, but twenty six post depression, he comes back. Um, and he's one of the no, I have that wrong. Depression is twenty nine, right? Yeah. Great Depression's nineteen twenty nine. Yeah. Yeah, so. and then through Double most checking. of the thirties, yeah, twenty nine through thirty three. Well, I mean, you know, it's a the guy that we're talking about is a white dude who had success as an architect, so you know, very likely he was depression proof. Um, and the yeah, star he, of a nineties sitcom. Exactly. Um, He's a, See here, a so, white guy architect, Waka Waka. How I Met Your Mother? No, they're all every nineties sitcom. Yeah, I guess that's a, true. Yeah, every nineties had a sitcom. had a white guy who was an architect and a white or a white lady who worked at a magazine. Right, right, or a coffee shop. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway. So yeah. Anyway. Um. He was one of the three architects that designed the Art Deco facade of the Chrysler Building. He was also involved. Oh in design. no way! Yeah, yeah. Oh his, wow! His name is one of the many names that's associated with um, coming up with the retro look of the Chrysler Building. Um, he was also involved in the design of the Plymouth Rock Memorial, the U.S. Supreme Court Building, uh, the Whoa. New York Central Building, um, many Manhattan office buildings, and then a variety of different state capitals. Um, huh. And then I thought this. I thought this bullet point was really cool. One of the last things that he did uh, for um, the world of real building uh, architecture and and visualizing what a real building would look like before it was built was rendering illustrations of the Golden Gate Bridge so that uh, stakeholders, people that were interested in funding the project, could see what they were investing in. So that's oh yeah. So that's a cool date mark from two directions, right? Because a this is late twenties, early thirties. So this is as the Golden Gate Bridge is being built. And, wow, and yeah. B, this guy that was later on became, you know, known as the father of concept art space illustration, painted images of the Golden Great Bridge before it was a bridge, you know. Like, that's really <laughs> cool to me, you know. Yeah. That's a... That's a the date marker cool. for that goes both ways, so I thought that was groovy. Um, Very cool. So, yeah, um, this is a cool thing, and this is this is a bit that I want to I, I wanna hit here, is that... Um, Bonestall was one of the many concept artists who also shared work in Hollywood as a matte painter. So, for those that don't know what a matte painter Ooh. is in Hollywood, um, the one of the ways that Hollywood would do um, wide establishing shots when there wasn't a, an ability to, uh, if if the the wide establishing shots were something you know fantastic or they were doing uh, fantasy, science fiction, medieval lore, whatever, 
Um, and, and they just, you know, there was no way to build a set realistically, or there was no castle available, or you unfortunately couldn't film on Mars. Um, they would have a... <laughs> Why not? Yeah, what a shame. Um, they would have a matte painter come in and paint these ridiculously detailed backgrounds. And then the ridiculously detailed background would be painted on a pane of glass. And the entire painting would be done in um, uh, a dull coat, in a matte uh, coat. It would, it would be done with non-shine paint so that when you shine the light on it and you put a camera over the t uh, top of this glass pane, there would be a small cutout um, in the glass pane, which is where some sort of lo location photography, either on a set or in some other, you know, kind of partially constructed piece of the actual image had been filmed elsewhere. Um, and then what they would do is they would layer the matte painting in front of running the footage of what had been filmed on a partial set and the two layers come together would make it look like there were a bunch of people walking around in uh, a castle or walking around in the crater of the moon or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, if it, one of the people that we'll get to later, um, if folks are out there and uh, Googling around, um, the best example of this and the most immediately recognizable example of this in media popular culture is going to be Ralph McQuarrie, who we're going to talk about later. But if you search Ralph McQuarrie matte paintings, you will immediately be assaulted by every amazing establishing shot from the original Star Wars trilogy. And you will be, you will be blown away the same way that I was as a little kid when you you look at some of these images that are just incredibly thick with detail, and you go, "Oh my God, that was a painting! That wasn't a set! What the hell?" Right, right. Or like so, a, a like a a tiny model city. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and like, and oh, there's Bespin. Yeah, and and um, oh wow, that sorry. Yeah, no, see, <laughs> like, exactly. Oh that, oh that, oh yeah, that's exactly that. it. That's the cool thing. And then if you search other, as we go through this, I'll highlight the different artists uh, of these different eras that were also matte painters, and and Bonestell was one of these as well. He um, contributed to Citizen Kane. He was a matte yeah. painter for Citizen Kane. Um, oh my so, god, yeah, and that. I've, I've seen that movie a bunch of times mm -hmm. at first because I, I was a snob in training when I was right. you know, 18. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I guess I'd better like this. Yeah. Uh, I need to and, know my classical and, literature and classical And now I'm like, oh, wait, I actually like it. It's actually, like, funny. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, oh, my God, I was like, these sets are amazing. I I learned about three minutes ago while you were talking that that they were mats. <laughs> yeah. I really thought that they just filmed in like a warehouse. Yeah. And they're like, all right, here, put a couch, and we'll put like a, you know, a plywood fireplace, and we'll just have a giant warehouse. You know, a giant just right. empty the set. Right. Don't bring anything into the set. And we'll do these, you know, these like five scenes where yeah. he has an unhappy marriage and Xanadu. Right. 
Right. Nope. They were mats. Yeah. The one, wow. Some of the most mind-blowing matte paintings of the um, uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s um, are, are, are generated by artists that are that are contemporaries so cool. to Bonestall. I can't remember who the matte painting artist that did it, but one of my favorite ones, which is just great for the perspective of it, is this painting, and I, I can't remember the artist, but um, it's this painting that looks perspective-wise down Mount Rushmore when Cary Grant and and the love interest in North by Northwest are yeah. escaping out of the uh, postmodernist house at the top of Mount Rushmore. Yeah. They have to escape down the length of, of the president's heads. And, right. and there's this one painting that they just reused like two or three times in that scene where they're just climbing down like Washington's nose. And it became one of the most... Uh, re-referenced scenes in cartoons and in comics mm. and stuff like that i know sure. regular show does it i know phineas and ferb do it but um the success of that scene is because of the matte paintings yeah um, yeah yeah for sure so a, uh, anyway yeah a, a more contemporaneous one um in one of one of Chaplin's movies. I think it was Modern Times. Mm. Modern Times of City Life. I think it was Modern... Yeah, I think it was Modern Times. Um, where he, he gets a job as a security guard at the department store. Um, and there's a really great scene where he's roller skating. And he's oh, doing all this, these roller skating the, tricks. And the then he puts on a blindfold. Yeah, 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 yeah. He this puts on good. a blindfold and he's doing all the roller skating tricks and he keeps all and you know at some point you know something fell and so now there's it, he's about it, he's always about to fall over this ledge and fall, you know, two stories. Right. Um but it uh when I was on Twitter, one of the accounts that I followed, I followed like two or three accounts that were uh it was just gifs or gifs uh, to your preference um, yeah. of like silent films, and yeah. that was and this was one where they showed how they did it, and they would sort of like artificially turn your camera so that you could see where the mat is on the glass and see where Chaplin is. Yeah, yeah, and the layering as to where the mat is, where he is yeah. on the set. And then how the composition comes together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah. It was really, really neat. It was yeah. really cool. I was like, I'm, that's super cool. Uh, and it kind of took some of the fun out of it. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it's like, let me see. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, crap. <sighs> I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. He was Harold Lloyd. You know, the the famous scene where Harold Lloyd is hanging off of the clock, you know, right. ten stories up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They show how they did that, and it's like, oh, he was like five feet off the ground on a roof, right. and the perspective right. makes it, oh, shucks. That's why, yeah. you know, Buster Keaton, he did it for real. Buster Keaton is the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that was the crazy thing is after our Buster Keaton episode and going back and looking at some of those videos of uh, the the movies of Buster Keaton on YouTube, and it's oh like, my oh god. my god, oh my god, you're doing all of this, aren't you? Oh my and god, yeah. There was one he he was supposed to jump 
was it in Sherlock Jr.? He was supposed to jump from one building to the next, but he, he went short and he fell. <laughs> and they said, uh, screw it, we'll keep it in. Yeah, we'll just and leave so it in. so they extend yeah. the scene so he falls through, uh, um, not balconies or tapestries, what do you call them? The things that hang over... Awnings. Awnings. Yeah, he yeah. falls through awnings. Um, uh, no such thing as a fish. Their most recent maybe last week's episode the first like 15 minutes they're just talking about how cool buster keaton is and all the crazy stuff nice. he did and i was like yep 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 no. check 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 I was like, yes <laughs> i so I, i'm gonna circle back with the the map paintings and i'll say that one of the ones yeah yeah, yeah. So, sorry i went on like right. six it's tangents no it's fine um one of the ones that always like I, I can't go an episode without uh, I can't go an episode of this show without talking about Star Trek. But um, yeah, dude, there was a the the so the original series uh, back in the '60s. The, their matte painter was this guy named Albert Whitlock, and um, I that dude. I will tell you what I'm, I'm looking at the Memory Alpha article on uh, the matte paintings that he did for uh, TOS, and um, he did some heavy freaking lifting. To establish that the, uh, the, the you know Captain Kirk and company were like really truly genuinely on a foreign planet, um, it is it yeah. is impressive to me scrolling through his his gallery how much uh, like these paintings are just these amazing paintings, and then you know there'd be this little tiny chunk that's just not painted, and that's where they're gonna drop you know Shatner and Nimoy and company uh, you know standing there going. Well, we screwed up the planet, you know, five to beam up. <laughs> you know. um, but yeah, My so God, um, this planet is two dimensional. Get us yeah, out right. of here quick. And I've and I've slept with three women. Bones, get me an STD and uh, <laughs> yeah, Bone, yeah, Bones is right. Yeah. So yeah, Matt paintings are pretty cool. I like them. Um, he was Bonestell was one of the ones that contributed to uh, the map paintings in Hollywood at the time. Um, uh, Post Hollywood, um, coming out of the '30s into the '40s, uh, he began to combine his love of astronomy with um, his architectural and technical drawing capabilities. Um, it was during this period of time the Saturn from the several moons was published in Life magazine in 1944. Um, and then um, from there, oh, that's cool on, that it was in Life magazine. That was yeah. one of the like top three magazines. Yeah, oh, of the time. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was like Life, Look, and Time were probably yeah. the three right. most popular. That's really right. cool. And then if you were on was, the East Coast, you could get your hands on the New Yorker. But for the most part, it was just either Life or Time. Yeah. Um, that's cool. yeah, and and then um, but it's his success in uh, having those uh, paintings uh, published in life that resulted in a variety of groups uh, reaching out to him and being like, can you, can you please do a few more of those? <laughs> um, the, um, the, the work that he did uh, in life was eventually uh, put together in a book, which is The Conquest of Space. Um, this book was actually uh, produced in collaboration with uh, author uh, Willy Ley, who's one of the Germans that came out of um, Nazi Germany to come work on the U.S. space program. Um, oh, okay. 
and then so one of the good ones. Yes, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Not an actual Nazi, yeah. So, to, so there's two really fascinating things that um, happened. I assume with, I don't uh, know. Maybe he's one of the bad ones. I don't know. I, I mean, there's there's a more gray area there for any, you know. Just, yeah. Why did why know. did why did the American space program work so well? Because we bombed the piss out of the German space program and then took all their scientists. I mean, right, that's, right, that's right. pretty much it. Um, the um, th- There's two really interesting career tacks that go on in parallel for, for Bonestall at this point through the course of the 50s. Um, he is a special effects and technical consultant for multiple science fiction classics during this period of time uh, through, through the 50s. And then some of that goes into the early 60s. But at the same time, um, he he paints covers for over uh, 47 multiple science fiction short story magazines. And oh, cool. The, the, the movies that he was part of are neat, but they're forgettable when it comes to the impact that they had on um, uh, the American science fiction landscape. The, the magazines have a more lasting impression. And the reason I say that is because he would paint the covers for magazines that would publish the short stories or the novellas of sci-fi writers that are now household names like james blish ray bradbury robert heinlein alfred bester um harlan ellison harlan ellison many more um wow yeah yeah so he was the one that put the glossy like amazing image of the rocket on the cover of the magazine which would get you to go, you know, buy the the, the magazine, and then you yeah, find yeah. yourself reading through Stranger in a Strange Land, or or getting your you know self chilled to the bone w- when reading Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, you know, or, or reading Highlands mm. the Martian Chronicles, you know. Um, it, it, he he was the the door opener by you know putting a rocket on a moon like landscape. Um, and we're going to talk about the rockets themselves in a minute here, because this is the, that that gets into cool territory as well. Um, that was the the cover by which you judged the book. Exactly. I mean, this was that era. It was you know, yeah, yeah. this is uh, burgeoning science fiction. So it was literally like, please judge this book by the cover and buy it for you know the eighty cents <laughs> that we've marked it at. You know, <laughs> we need to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so parallel to this. Um, he gets involved with um, uh, painting some concept art for uh, Werner von Braun, another ex-Nazi German, now an American, you know, not uh, NASA rocket conceptual artist. Um, he was the he, uh, the V two guy, right? He was, he was, and then later on, he was the you know, we can live in space, and then we can work the in Apollo space. guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or Mercury, One of my favorite, whatever he worked. Yeah, on. Mercury. Yeah, Mercury. Uh, but he was around for Apollo, but but he was most famous for, you know, being involved in... Uh, he didn't like that the, 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 the cowboys that had come out of World War II um, that had strapped themselves into uh, test planes kept coming to him and, and, and changing his designs. Uh, my, favorite, my favorite scene from the, the 80s movie, The Right Stuff, is uh, um, the, uh, the Mercury astronauts... Um, pointing at the uh, the capsule and saying and right there is where you're going to put the explosive bolts right 
Von Braun is like, what are you talking about? It's explosive bolts. There's not good. There's no room for explosive bolts. And <laughs> astronauts look at him and they say, well, if you want to put any of us in that thing, you're going to put explosive bolts on the door so we can get the hell out if the thing catches on fire. And there's this kind of long moment where him and several other, in, you know, of the, the scientists are talking with each other in furious German, you know, and then they look back and <laughs> fine, people put explosive bolts on the door, you know. <laughs> love that scene. Absolutely love it. Um, so, yeah, um, so he's part of that. You know, Bonestell is in, in that era um, where, where, you know, he's helping Von Braun visualize this stuff and coming up with concept art of what it would look like to live and work in space and, and this is all done for a symposium that's hosted by Collier's magazine and is later published in Collier's magazine um, oh cool the whole series the whole series is called man will conquer space soon uh Bonestell <laughs> is yeah yeah it's, it's very 1950s now. yeah man will conquer space soon Ba-da-da-da! you know <laughs> um, Bodestal is very he, he's one of the, the group of folks that's um, responsible for uh, this comes back to a term that you and I have talked about that I really like, retro future um, which yeah, is the, yeah. the idea of the future that we were promised but never got you know, the flying cars <laughs> the space stations that are shaped like rings etc. Bodestal helped to um shape that look and that image um if you look at his art gallery he's got these um images which i think are from the collier series uh assembly of the moon ships 1075 miles above the hawaiian islands 1952 620 miles above mars 1953 and you've got these giant delta wing space planes and you've got these rings uh ring space stations in the distance and the ring space stations are a von Braun idea, um, which come oh. from the you know the fact that von Braun really latched onto the concept of you know you rotate a space station fast enough and you create artificial gravity, um, which is still true. You know, it's just that we don't build space stations like that. I, 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 to be honest, off the top of my head, I don't know why. Um, yeah, yeah, you just I guess they figure, well, like we're we're fine floating. So, yeah, I think that was part of it. You know, it's, it's why waste, <laughs> we, why waste the fuel? Let's just not. <laughs> let's let's just not add all that extra equipment and fuel and right. battery and yeah. It's also great PR. I mean, every video of somebody drinking oh, yeah. droplets of water, man. Hell, you know, I I remember watching that in the '80s, and I was like, I want to do that. You know. <laughs> yeah, you and every other kid. Oh yeah, man, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, if you, um, I mean, if it looks like, uh, if it looks like two thousand one, it's like, oh, you can run in a circle. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. You can right. sit at your desk. Right. Oh. Well, but I like yeah. Floating around and your hair is all fanned out and crazy right. and. Right. Yeah, that's, that's where super you cool. get into the yeah. That's where you get into the cool aspect of space. Um, not <laughs> this is where I go to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is what 2001 did. It tried, you know, very hard yeah. to kind of mundaneize the concept of space travel. Um, yeah, I yeah, guess so, it might get annoying after three or four months. <laughs> yeah. I, th- there's also this really interesting, like, 
I'll have to go look at this and, and dig on this at some point because one of the things that they always talk about with the reason that the astronauts can only be up in outer space for like X discrete period of time is that yeah. the body begins to atrophy in zero gravity. And they talk about how there's all these yeah. resistance training machines that they have up there. Okay, well, okay, got it. So why don't you just spin the damn space station like Von Braun came up with in the 50s? Because if right, you create right, right. near-Earth gravity... And, you know, the near-Earth gravity has that impact on, you know, it has the effect on the spine just the same way that, you know, standing on the Earth does. Well, why aren't you doing that? You know, I don't know. I don't have an answer there. But I'm I, curious about I assume that. that keeping them limited to, what's the longest term, like 13 months or 16 months is the yeah. longest someone did. Someone just well, came back recently yeah, I think after that, that uh, amount. I think Chris Hatfield was up there for a year. Uh, the, oh, okay. The, the guy that's now the senator. Um, in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. more recently, I I can't remember Kelly. her name. But Mark Kelly, not Chris Hadfield, sorry. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other celebrity right. astronaut. Yeah, yeah, the other celebrity <laughs> The other astronaut. famous guy from yeah. Arizona or right, New Mexico, right. like wherever they're both from. Right. Um, but, um, so but anyway, but I th I, I'm assuming like, you know, when every every pound of cargo is a giant mathematical... Uh, calculation. No, that's exactly and, it. And, I mean, yeah. and a potential for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, well, we could just keep them confined to X number of months rather right. than creating a, a new requirement of engineering and yeah. fuel and everything. Right, right. We don't have to solve, um, oh God, what were they? Um, fucking, uh, I think it's uh, Euler's uh, E U L E R's um, uh, um, gravity. Yeah, uh, not the football team. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't have to solve the slingshot equations every time with you know corrected fuel. Anyway, oh, that's yeah. that's pulling from the deep recesses of Aaron's old engineering years. <laughs> so I'm not not going down that road any further. Um, oh yes, clearly yes. Obviously yes, of course. Um, Classic. The. The um, so we'll, we're going to come back to the the two kind of parallel tacks that his that his um career was going at this at this time where he's painting these covers for the sci fi magazines and he's also working with von Braun on uh kind of visualizing for the rest of the world what it could hypothetically look like to to live and work in space um the aesthetic that the visual aesthetic that he um. Uh, kind of centers on is this uh, vertical takeoff and landing rocket, the VTOL rocket. Um, and that idea of a rocket taking off and landing vertically was something that for many years was considered impossible. Um, yeah. And it was, it was just one of those where it's like, Oh, well that's, that's clearly science fiction. That's never something that's going to happen. Uh, and then in the last 10 years, now we have video of the Tesla SpaceX folks landing their their rockets up and down, uh, right. just like in science fiction, and it's yeah. mind blowing to me. And it the, just the first successful mind. landing was what just one or two years yeah. ago, wasn't it? Yeah, a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Yeah, Man. the two boosters. Yeah, uh, just just amazing to me. And so what about thing, seventy years after? After he, visualizing uh, this. After stuff. he visualized it, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Really fascinating to me because it's like 
one of the other things that um, always gets talked about whenever anybody talks about the going into space is uh, how wasteful um, the 50s and the 60s were in terms of space travel because mm. there was kind of a shrugged off acceptance at a certain point with some of the stages of those rockets that at a certain point you couldn't reuse stages of those rockets like yeah it was kind of wink and a grin that they would splash down in the water but eh, you lose a giant ring of a of a, an apollo module you can't really recover that you know so from a logistics perspective that's kind of shitty you know that's a lot of steel <laughs> you just wasted um yeah so i i think it's amazing that did they you ever know, recover them or are they just in the bottom of the ocean somewhere i know there's them, a lot of space junk right many of them were recovered uh but then i do know that there were certain um there were certain chunks of because they did they did the um apollo went up to i think it's 15 um before it got canceled so that's 15 uh saturn 5 rockets uh each of which has nine stages uh and i think they only keep like the top three um oh where God. you know the the bits and pieces are just falling to uh falling to the planet with the hope uh uh slash expectation slash wink that it'll land in the water um right right so i can't remember off the top of my head but i know that i know that there's some there was a a big kerfuffle during the apollo program about how a a piece of the apollo uh module landed in australia and there was this big like oh. territorial thing that 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 went down about you know well how, why the hell is the united states dropping space junk on aborigines and i i, I just remember it yeah. being a thing uh but i can't remember what the resolution to it was but i i do remember that being something that uh yeah i don't know where to go on that anyway um so you got the VTOL rocket aesthetic. Um, and I, this is where I, I, I went down this hole a little bit further because once I started looking at the, the VTOL rocket uh, visual aesthetic, I was like, okay, well, how many times does this get used in the 50s? Because it's, it's really crazy how many times it shows up in different movies. The, right. the, the one that is the most famous is the Starship Luna in Destination Moon which was a big-budget Hollywood science fiction movie in the 50s. Um, the a nearly identical VTOL rocket then later shows up in um, Tintin's Destination Moon comic series later on in the, in the 70s, uh, as illustrated by Hergé. Um, a very right. similar rocket uh, shows up in Rocket Ship XM, which is essentially a knockoff of Destination Moon. Uh, one of the bad guy rockets... In the Flash Gordon serial, uh, the episode is called Zyderine of Neptune. Uh, pulls directly from the VTOL rocket <laughs> aesthetic. You've got Flight to Mars, uh, another sci-fi from the 50s, 1951. Uses this aesthetic. I like this one. I thought this was kind of neat as I was doing my... I, I threw the link down here. It's uh, monstermoviemusic.blogspot.com. This guy looking okay. at these retro um, movies. Ooh. This this one that I really liked was Project Moonbase, uh, and I, I I've never seen any of these, but I, I really like the image of the rocket. What they did was they painted the rocket so it had the same uh, markings and colorings and everything as uh, U.S. Air Force airplanes at the time. So it, it makes it feel very like real 
Uh, I thought yeah, that was yeah. cool. I, I, I really dug that. Um, How have I never heard of Abbott and Costello go to Mars? I have heard of that one. I saw that one and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, and I don't oh, think man. it was through Mystery Science I thought the one with uh, Frankenstein and Dracula and everybody was the goofiest. Uh, that's got to be way goofier. <laughs> yeah, going to have to go off and watch that one now. Um, yeah. So I'm going to finish this off with um, uh, kind of a really neat jumping off point. And, and it's one that maybe further on down the road you and I can do one on the space shuttle because I'm also a big space shuttle nerd but um oh sure yeah the um the Werner von Braun's um fairy rocket concept uh which okay. is illustrated repeatedly and regularly by Bonnestel um is the spiritual and design predecessor to the modern American space shuttle program the fairy rocket that, that Von Braun came up with and that Bonestal painted repeatedly has three stages. And, and if you think here now, as I list through these stages, you'll start mentally kind of connecting these with the shuttle and, and the fuel tank and the booster rockets. Um, the fairy rocket had three stages, one of which was used for cargo, one of which was used to get the thing um, out into space, the booster rocket to get up into space, um, yeah. And then it had a manned cockpit, uh, which could be used for atmospheric reentry. So, I mean, that hits so many huh. of the of the you know th that's so many darts hitting the dartboard of the space shuttle design right there. Yeah, um, it was the the ferry rocket is the spiritual granddaddy of the STS orbiter program, uh, which we all came to know as kids through the. Uh, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s. Um, right. It, it is, and and this is another one where when we do our space shuttle episode, there there used to be this book, I had this book that I obsessed over when I was a kid, where, um, God almighty, <laughs> Boeing, Lockheed, Ariane Space, uh, I think uh, the, the company before they were Airbus, because Airbus didn't come along until the 80s, um, uh, Martin Marietta, um, all of these companies came up with these different iterations of the reusable, uh, landable uh, launches as a rocket comes back as oh. an airplane concept. And each time that they come up with these two-stage or three-stage concepts, they would point back to Von Braun's ferry rocket and be like, yeah, he's, um, yeah, the, the, the ex-Nazi, he kind of got this right. Back in the late '40s, early '50s, we should just kind of go with this because he's he's not wrong, you know. Right. Um, yeah. I I I've, I've found that just absolutely fascinating. Um, I found it fascinating then when I was reading through that book as a kid. And I still find it fascinating now, you know, that it's uh, some of these guys, you know, they they just really got it right, and then the the engineering groups kind of went, yeah, they got it right. Let's just let's just uh, copy off of his homework, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And, yeah, I mean, as, as long as it's that basic design of controlled explosion to get up. Yep, yep. And then either use it like an airplane or right. controlled explosion, you know, run the run the video backwards yeah. to, to land. Yep, huge, huge cargo, you know, semi-truck cargo space, and then... Uh, 
you know, bring the thing in in a way that you don't lose, you know, 80% of the, the equipment uh, when, upon, yeah. you know, re-entry. <laughs> Seriously. Because um, that was the other that big piece. Wild. That was, the, the, like, one of the biggest things that um, made re-entry so difficult was the, you know, this is something that you and I talked about, and I think in a previous episode, was the, 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 the cushion of the atmosphere and, and how it, it protects right. the Earth. Um, so they had to design around that and, and anyway, yeah, that's, we talked that's, about that. Uh, the, 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 the last episode. one. Yeah. 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 Eon. yeah. So, um, so I think the, that's the, um, yeah, go ahead. Never mind. I, I right. realized it was, uh, gonna be dumb. So now, dude, <laughs> <laughs> I point back to the first 20 minutes of this episode. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was, uh, uh, genius and groundbreaking. You are correct. You are correct. So. Please don't, please don't cut our forty impressions. That was I put some work. <laughs> <into that. laughs> um, all right. Before we before we deviate too far, because I know we're about to. Um, yeah, Bonestall uh, painted way up until the eighties. You know his um, uh, his portfolio includes uh, uh, paintings in sixty three, seventy six. And then uh, I, um, I got to jump back to the wiki to, to tell you when he died, but I think it was eighty three uh, is when he passed on uh, eighty six. Wow! So he made he it in, to what ninety five? Yeah, yeah. But you know what the coolest thing about that is? What's that? He got to see man conquer space, which is fucking cool. yeah. You know, like Good that's for him. talk about talk about a life well lived. To paint yeah. Saturn, to paint the moons of Saturn, and then to see a man walk on the moon. Uh, yeah, man, and to what, see, what, uh, I guess he would have seen Mir, but not yeah. the ISS. Right, he would have seen Mir and he would have seen Skylab, which is our Skylab, 1970s era. Right. Yeah, yeah. I always forget about Skylab. Yeah, Skylab was, was kind of a... Um, uh, it, it's a blink and you'll miss it moment in in space exploration, but it was there. You know, hundreds of different little scientific modules in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's cool. that's my episode on uh, um, Bonestell. Um, and, and, and this fun is fact, one of many. Yes. I was wondering. I was like Chesley. I've never heard this name Chesley. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I typed in just Chesley to see if anyone else comes up with that name. You yeah. know whose name is Chesley? Hmm. Sully Sullenberger. Chesley Sullenberger, as in the pilot. Chesley the, the, Burnett Sullenberger is Sully Sullenberger, who landed in the Hudson. Right, right, right. Who saved the little Airbus A320 in the Hudson. Yeah, How about yeah. that? that so is there wild. you go. Chesleys, <laughs> they're all right. That's pretty cool. Na- yeah. if, if you have a boy, name him chesley yeah mamas let and, your sons uh, grow up to be chesleys because they're good freaking people <laughs> yeah. yeah that's pretty cool yeah that's pretty groovy so yeah so this is going to be one two. of this is going to be one of um several concept artist episodes um, yeah and i'll do a kind of a sneak preview here we're going to do um uh you said sid mead yeah next we're going to do sid mead um, we're going to do these quasi chronological. Uh, we're going to rewind after Sid Mead, and we'll do um, Robert McCall. Robert McCall did um, uh, he painted for uh, Boeing and Lockheed Martin for uh, several years in the the fifties, and then he went on to basically become the NASA artist 
for Apollo Mercury mission. So anytime that time or or um, ABC or, or CBS needed to visualize something, McCall would paint it for them. Because this is oh, okay. an era so before... The, uh, the graphic off... Yeah. Off panel next to uh, Cronkite. Yeah, exactly. Now yeah, over right. here we can see they'll be yep. circling this area. Yeah, exactly. And he was the one that cool. painted every one of those. Yeah. So we'll do those. Um, we're eventually we're going to do H.R. Giger. Um, uh, it might be Geiger. Uh, I, I think, think it's, it's Geiger. Geiger though. Yeah, I could be wrong. Um, I'll get that right before we do the episode. Um, yeah, we'll look it up. I've I it, I've heard it only pronounced Geiger, but yeah. maybe they were all wrong. I think the one that's going to be a lot of fun to do is going to be we're going to do Ralph McQuarrie, and then we're going to directly follow that by doing uh, Doug Chiang. And the reason that those two are really neat is because McCory painted the concept art for, and then the matte paintings for Star Wars, for the original trilogy. And then Doug Chiang comes along and he basically, like, soaks in all of the Star Wars art books that I soaked in as a kid. And he turns around and he goes, I would like to be involved in this. And he goes on to paint all of the kind of very Ralph McQuarrie style concept art for the prequel trilogy. So visualizations, very the cool. Gungans and, and, you know, what was, you know, what does the Naboo Royal Palace look like? We'll do that. Um, we're going to do uh, an episode where we're, we're going to lump um, uh, four guys together that were basically responsible for the look and feel of Star Trek from the 80s until around the 2000s. And then we'll finish up the concept art series, or maybe not, with um, Simon Stallenhag, who uh, I, yes. I put here, I put here, applying retro future to a broken world, the Stranger Things aesthetic, uh, which yeah. will be a lot of fun. He's, he's and really that was groovy. I love originally him. that was going to be the episode was yeah. just him, and I was like, "Who's this guy?" And yeah. we had like a forty-five minute phone call about him, like, and I was just drooling over this artwork you were showing yeah. me. Yeah, so I realized that I needed to make this bigger. And yeah, so that's cool to to wrap it up with them. That'll yeah. be that'll be cool. Yeah. So he'll be the end of it. So yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the next like, like four episodes or something. Yeah. We might maybe maybe we'll put something in the middle. Yeah. Maybe put not. Put some uh, put some peanut butter and jelly in the middle. That'd be good. Like a nice, <laughs> like a nice yeah. sandwich, you know. Cool. Toast it. Yeah. Yeah, so right. uh, yeah, get ready, guys and gals. <laughs> yeah, Hold on to your butts. Alright, so who's doing the sing out? Sci fi art coming up. Yeah, man. What'd you say? I said who's doing the sing out? Who's singing a song? Oh it yeah. You uh you opened it so I'll Yeah, you opened it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I'll we'll close it. it. Yeah. Alright, so yeah, so that's it for uh for this episode. Here's that our patented copyrighted closing music.